everybody. I'm super excited for today's show with Cassie McFarland, CPA, known Cassie for quite some time, been in both our Dope CFO program. He is now, um, I think, maybe our very first graduated Dope CFO certified advisor, first or second, <laughs> one of those two, um, but really high level in the South, in Louisiana, where we're going to see huge growth from the Texas side all the way to the Panhandle, Florida side. Um, also, Cassie is a banking expert, spent a lot of his career in banking, so I want to hear about that as well. Um, and so why don't we jump in? Let me let... Um, let Cassie, you give give a little deeper back or background on your your bio, and then we'll we'll also jump into your cannabis background from there. No, definitely. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, so I got into the banking world while I was in college, pursuing my finance degree. I worked as teller part time for three years, and then there was a spot in the accounting department that opened up um, when I graduated with my finance degree. So jumped over there and. Spent several years in the accounting department, um, ended up going back to school to get my accounting degree uh, in the evenings, and then eventually proceeded to go get my CPA and eventually passed that, and then um, had the opportunity to start a new department, um, which was kind of housed within the accounting department, which was the treasury function of the bank. So I spent the last six years running the treasury department of the credit union. Uh, which was exciting um, and different and challenging. So we managed uh, the whole balance sheet and the risk of the of the institution itself. So we did a lot of times creating products and uh, analysis of what is best for the customers. Well, and, and by the way, when we get in more to the actual recent banking crisis, which we'll get into one thing I'm going to say, make a note for myself for later, I want to hear kind of your thoughts on credit unions versus banks, because lots of people are asking that, which is is safer and how they're insured. Um, and we'll hit, and credit unions happen to be really big in cannabis. Um, so I'm sure that's on a lot of CEOs' minds as well. But let's, we'll, we'll push that off for a little bit. Why don't we talk about how did you get interested in the cannabis industry? It's kind of Hit, hit the, I mean, like Texas is still not legal. The South is kind of dipping their toes in, but it's been been a little bit slow other than Mississippi. Um, so kind of yeah. how did you get started in that, that side of things? Yeah, so it all started at the credit union because we started to discuss banking cannabis. Um, and so we started doing a lot of research and digging into the cannabis industry, how many deposits were available uh, to the institution within our state, and could we gather up deposits in other states? So I started to really look into that, and then I really got interested on creating my own firm, and it's something that I've always wanted to do, and I was like, man, I really need to find a good niche to get into, because I just didn't want to do tax work for a thousand <laughs> people. Uh, my aunt currently does that, and she's you know, miserable during tax season. So uh, I was like, cannabis seems like a fantastic opportunity. Uh, we had started a medical program here in Louisiana. Um, and so I started to get involved that way. Well, awesome. And it's been, I mean, it's, it's 
a bouncy road in cannabis for sure. And so we've we've had a little bit of a slowdown, but I think we're back slowly starting on the the upturn again. And the good news for cannabis is it's um we're gonna the cannabis itself and consumption and buyers is gonna grow no matter what, and the industry will grow with that over time. But since we have to get through legalization, it's always um a little bump bumpy as well. Um, why don't we jump in? So we we cover so many things. I mean, with owners, I mean, when we talk to owners and you've been to several events, and by the way, if you're a CEO or a investor out there, you've probably seen Cassie's been on at least two or three stages, just even recently, um, speaking around the US at events. I know more often than not, when we talk to owners, two things that come up right away are 2ADE and banking. <laughs> and so you have expertise in both. So that's a, a huge plus as well. Um, but why don't you talk about cannabis businesses face uh, a myriad of banking in, in issues? What do you consider for some of the best solutions for keeping yourself and, and your clients out of hot water? Yeah, definitely. Specifically on the banking side, right? There's a lot of compliance aspects the bank has to abide by uh, for any business, um, especially businesses that are much more risky, like cannabis that are <laughs> schedule one. So um, there's a lot of options available for companies and owners. Um, we can go through several of those options. So first, you can buy excess deposit insurance. Um, so you can buy insurance to cover anything over the $250,000 limit. And that insurance is relatively cheap um, compared to the big scheme of things uh, for the amount of risk that you're taking to leave your funds uninsured. Um, another on, option, yeah, on go that ahead. Option, on that option, do all banks and credit unions offer that or just certain ones? The majority of all banks offer that. If they offer commercial services or commercial banking, they tend to offer that solution uh, to their clients. Okay, cool. I never even heard of that ever. <laughs> it's probably very few know about that. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people regarding the safety of the bank never think there there's going to be bank failure or bank runs. And so they just tend to opt, opt out of insuring those funds. Um, but as good CFOs, we should be looking at that risk and saying, hey, what would happen if those funds were tied up and we couldn't get to them. Uh, another option I would say is you could spread your money out between different banks. Um, it's a little bit more cumbersome um, managing multiple bank accounts um, and it's gonna be a little bit more costly, um, but you're within that limit. Uh, a third option would, you know, I don't even know if it's viable, but to buy investments. Um, which would be a whole interesting conversation in itself if cannabis companies could buy treasuries and create, if yeah. you know your cash flow, right, of when you're going to need those funds, you create a ladder of investments, right, of short-term treasuries or whatnot um, and to provide when those maturities would come about and provide that extra cash flow when needed. Now, that's a good idea because you could also, many cannabis entities may have two or three non-cannabis legitimate entities and they could use one of those for a, a treasury management function 
Um, <laughs> if, yeah, it's just good business too, right? Uh, yeah. Get a little bit money, more money on your interest, you know? Um, so Especially now, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're paying. Yes, I think in the last 20 years, I mean, bank accounts pay nothing. Low treasuries are paying nothing. But now, now you can actually get good interest rates. Are CDs... Are they, they're a little more risky than treasuries. Probably don't make much more yield, right? Right. You might, you might get similar yield, right? But it's still within the, under that account. Um, so it's still not insured the full amount because it's still the same deposit holder. So you're still taking a little bit extra risk. Um, and banks do have some um, bank networks where they can uh, move that money to a middleman and then that middleman spreads it out across hundreds of banks. Um, and you only have to deal with the one bank account still. Um, okay, so you can deal. Okay, so, well, and I'm going to actually skip ahead a little because and then we'll backtrack. The we had we were going to talk about the banking current banking crisis farther ahead um, but since it's so relevant right now why don't we just jump in and then we can manage that into more um, protections for um for cannabis companies but why don't you talk about the recent banking crisis how it started and and really we're still kind of in the middle of it um and it's even spreading i mean like you mentioned so talk about the bank crisis, but then also let's talk about what's confusing to a lot of people, including me. Um, like, for example, I had an account for our company in Ameritrade to put excess cash. Uh, and then I find out, oh, wait a minute, Schwab bought Ameritrade. Schwab's a huge bank and they're having issues now in the news. So um, you start to think, oh, I've got my bank and my investment brokerage, but they may be a bank too. So maybe talk about um, it's hard to get away from the banks at all. No, definitely. There's a lot of interconnectivity between all these institutions um, and how money actually flows from one place to the other. But I'll touch on SVB real quick. So, you know, when COVID came, uh, we printed a lot of money and that money had to go somewhere. And so it ended up in the banking system and the Federal Reserve's balance sheet blew up. Um, and so rates went to zero or they weren't very higher than zero at the time, but yeah. they literally went to zero. So um, banks lend those deposits out and nobody needed lending because everybody was flush with cash. Um, and so as that time period happened, inflation started to grow. Uh, and the Fed started to increase interest rates. And so deposit money became much more volatile because people could go get a better rate elsewhere. And so the margin compression on the bank happened. And at that time, the banks were so flush with cash in 2020, 2021, and they couldn't lend it. So they bought investments and a lot of them bought short or short-term treasuries or long-term treasuries. And SVP, SVB bought long-term treasuries, which extended the duration risk on the liability to deposit itself. So as rates rose, bond prices fall, 
and they had large unrealized gains or losses, which affect their capital ratios. And so as those capital capital ratios decreased, they needed to raise money. And then people started pulling funds out really fast and the bank run happened. Um, and so obviously the government stepped in, right? And uh, mm -hmm. provided the liquidity needed um, for some of these funds to operate. Yeah, and that was a good, they, they kind of got bailed out and we talked about how those CFOs of those, and I'm imagining they were pretty high level CPAs and CFOs in the high tech world because um, they were funded by, you know, private equity groups and whether it was the private equity superstars or the CFOs, they all missed it and had way too much money sitting in one bank and they kind of got lucky and bailed out Um as opposed to listening to what you said earlier, moving, there were ways they could deal with it because it sounded like some people might have had $5 million just sitting in one bank that their whole company depended on for payroll and and operations. And it's just really sketchy to think. And, and I think the other interesting thing we saw, you know, 50 years ago, there have been bank runs. The old-fashioned bank run, you had to get in your car and drive over and they could shut the door. People had to they could just, people had to slowly wait in line, but they were, this bank run happened kind of via mobile phones and people, and, and then on Twitter, we got social media. So it was kind of the self-fulfilling loop that just, you know, it happened really, really quickly. And then it started hitting other banks too, because everyone's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, bank runs are definitely self-fulfilling prophecies in themselves. So, but you're right with technology today, it allows payments to move much faster than they've ever been able to move before. And, and they can move before. And, you know, it's interesting. I heard a podcast. I'm trying to think where it was. And it was um, someone talking about game theory. Like they're, they've raised the insurance limit from a hundred grand and now we're at 250. And someone was saying, actually, if they just got rid of the limit and said, the government said, look, we will backstop. We're not going to backstop the bank and bail out the bank, but we'll backstop the depositors. Um, just give the depositors comfort, and that would lower the insurance. There would actually it would actually have a lower cost to insure unlimited, because when that unlimited cost, that would stop any bank runs because there would be no need for a bank run. Um, but I don't know how the how, and we still don't really know actually what all are they going to do? Because we're, we've got, like you said, all these different problems between inflation and, and the government itself has these massive interest payments and they can't, you know, normally they raise interest rates to, to stop inflation, but that hurts the banks and the government. <laughs> and, and by the way, you mentioned COVID and all these bailouts and these trillion dollar money prints. Um, it's, it's getting to be like, okay, we're backing ourselves into corner but which also makes me think we're a different world from where we were 50 years ago. So CFOs should really be thinking about protecting, like I'm thinking about it as a CEO of my company, where is the cash? I got to make payroll every two weeks. And so what, so related to cannabis companies, they already had banking issues before they even talked about all of the banking crisis. Maybe why don't we dip in a little bit to, is there, there's definitely more credit unions in cannabis for for certain. 
is our credit unions a little bit safer? Um, what is that whole model? They're kind of member organized and and they don't have FDIC, but they have a different kind of insurance. Yeah, so credit unions are member owned, like you said. So um, there's not, they have a board of directors just like a bank, um, but those most banks board of directors own large portions of the bank itself. Um, and so they tend to be more reluctant to get into a industry that's not as regulated or the illegality of the business itself. So um, credit unions are co-op. So every member has one voting right, regardless of how many dollars you have uh, in the bank yeah. or the credit union. And they tend to be a little bit more risk averse. Um, credit unions cannot raise capital like banks. Um, so they have to manage their balance sheets uh, much more carefully than a traditional bank does. Um, their members tend to be, you know, the everyday person uh, coming into the bank. So their deposit base is much more spread out and that deposit risk of bank runs happening tends to be much less um, because there's not a concentration of people who hold those deposits. Um, and they have jumped into the cannabis space and served a lot of uh, cannabis companies very, very well at reasonable cost. Um, and yeah, on the deposit insurance side, they're insured by NCUA, uh, the National Credit Union Association. So. Well, and and all that is really pretty, I mean, cannabis has had such bad banking news for years. Like in Oregon, we have MAPS Credit Union, which has like 14 branches and they they bank just about everyone. Um, it's maybe a little bit more costly, but not crazy. But like you said, that's that does give you comfort. If most credit unions have a lot of smaller depositors, they're way under the $250,000 limit. So they have no need to run on the bank. And I think that highlights Silicon Valley. All those people, high techs, maybe had five, 10 million, were flood, had loads of cash. And so when they did a bank run, yeah, everyone was pulling out massive amounts of money where a, a credit union, that's not going to happen. Um, and when you think back, even over the last 30 years, and I, you probably know better than me. I mean, the 2008, I don't remember a bunch of credit unions going under. Same deal now. I'm reading about Schwab and and Deutsche Bank and Credit Suisse and and Silicon Valley Bank and all of these kind of banks are are pretty sizable. I'm not reading about credit unions having trouble. Um, yeah, I would say like traditionally credit unions have been more consumer focused um, uh, even on the lending side, but they've definitely over the past decade got into the commercial space and the commercial lending space. Um, but I think they're much more conservative than your traditional bank um, and what kind of loans they give out to people and what kind of deposits they take in. So now, they definitely got the their little more scrutiny. That is, this is, I know, going to be a very, very popular one. And for all the cannabis CEOs out there listening, you know, Cassie is a, we'll put all his contact info in the in the notes, but it's huge to have a dope CFO certified advisor on your side and a CPA, but then to have someone have that deep banking knowledge 
not only to help you when you need loans or deposits, but also to protect your money and your downside. And just even to be able to communicate, it's such a big role to be able to communicate with your banks. I mean, I remember in the old days, this is a long time ago, 25 years ago, one of my, I just become CFO of this oil and gas company and we were dealing with different banks there and they had struggled, you know, oil and gas companies went under and, and I can remember my boss still, the banker, I love the banker in our office and conference room and my boss just literally exploding, screaming at the banker about covenants and whatever. I can't even remember what it was. All I remember is him screaming at the banker and storming out. <laughs> so it's it's good to have someone that can can develop those relationships with the bank because it's super important to almost any business. Yeah, definitely. Your relationship with your banker is vital. Um, yeah. because they can definitely go ahead and even if you're running into a tough time with cash flow and you need to make payments on that loan, if you're really up forward with them, they're gonna try to make it work out for you. They definitely they definitely want the loan to work out. They don't want it to go bad. Um because they well, we always said we're not in the business of you know repossessing real estate because we're not real estate experts in banking we're lending experts uh, uh, well that's so they a great definitely point. want the loan to work out so if you keep that good relationship going um that's huge and this actually rolls into our other um we're going to talk a little bit about startups and financial models and pitch decks but going and i know you're going to mention, talk about the perpetual data room along with that being able to use the systems that you are using as a WCFO certified advisor that have you have your clients audit ready all the time is going to be hugely helpful with your bank relationship, your investor relationships, your board relationships, all the all those as well. So why don't we jump in and we'll kind of start with pitch decks and find financial models, what are kind of the the um biggest mistakes you see on on that um that side of things. No, definitely. Uh, when I think about pitch decks and models, um, one on the model specifically, I see where the balance forecasted balance sheet, or if they even have a forecasted balance sheet, doesn't really tie together with the forecasted income statement. Mm -hmm. So the depre the depreciation that's accumulating on the balance sheet doesn't match the expense that's on the income statement, or the interest expense on the loan on the income statement doesn't match the balance and the rate on the balance sheet, um, which these are like kind of simple things to look at when you're a CPA or a banker. But if you're not versed in the realm of doing this all the time, you tend to overlook those couple little things that are very critical that give you, you know, credibility onto your model itself. Um, and what it can actually accomplish. So uh, bankers want financial statements every year. They want to see how you're doing. Um, they want to make sure that that loan's going to get paid back. Or if you need more credit, right, um, to be able to project that model accordingly and let them stress test it and say, hey, this is our worst case scenario, but this is what we actually think we're going to do. Well, those are great points, and it's it's my pet peeve as well when you look at models. So really, 
I always feel like the financial model should be done first before the pitch deck. And then, because like you say, within the model, numbers won't agree to each other, or there'll be simple mathematic errors or formulas cal calculated wrong. Like maybe you've got all your expenses on the P&L and total expenses is just a formula. Oh, but you forgot two rows. And someone has to go in there like, oh, did you see they forgot that row with payroll? <laughs> it was like a million dollars and it made their their EBITDA huge. And so we, so again, Dopecivo certified advisor, having someone like Hasty help build that model. I've never in my life seen a good model prepared by a CEO. And I don't care if they're an MBA graduate, Harvard. I dealt with lots of, of CFO or startups in the high-tech world and they're like oh yeah i'm i went to harvard and i can build this easily we just find simple mistakes and then that model should agree to the because sometimes someone will make a model and someone else is making the deck and then and then later the model changes and then it says year two revenues are 10 million and then the deck it says 15 million and you're like oh that doesn't agree so every time an investor sees anything that doesn't agree or math errors it's instant, at least in my brain, it's like, oh, these people don't really know what they're doing. And so if you have your model and then you do the deck, make sure you're tick marking and tying out those two things to everything agrees, the math is good. And then if anyone goes in, because the model needs to be refreshed six months later, if you go in and change numbers, you better make sure they match again to the deck and all that stuff, because that's what happens. People start making edits and tweaks during the capital raise and they forget to, to fix things. But again, Huge plug plug for you on on doing that and having you know a world class CFO on your team to not only build and make sure the model and deck are always up to date, but help in those communications with not just the bankers but the investors as well. So why don't we move into what do you what do bankers and or investors really want to see in models in and pitch decks? I would say they need to be reasonable, right? Uh, based off the total addressable market that you're in um just like if oklahoma just recently had their boat to go wreck and i bet a lot of people were banking on that and their models dictated we were going to get a lot of sales coming up from you know dallas texas area right yeah um and now that's adjusted totally um because that wreck bill did not pass uh, so it's like, okay, where's the pivot point? You know, you got to adjust that whole model account for those 7 million people in that area not being able to purchase recreational product anymore that would come up to Oklahoma. So it's making sure that you're reasonable and forecastable, you know, in that method. So I always say if it's not reasonable, then it's probably, you know, uh, how how'd you get there to this this pie in the sky number uh is there some metrics built behind those uh forecast or is it like this is what i feel how things are gonna go no i think that's a really good point and it's like um i know you had mentioned too when we were talking earlier about cash flow and burn rate and, and cash balances and i always tell when i'm talking to the ceos the number one 
assumption like over like a five or 10 year period, if you assume this industry is going to grow at some point, it's going to be nationally legal. It's going to be similar to liquor, but it's just going to be very bumpy to get there. And so if you're the CEO of dispensary or farm, your number one, if you have that assumption that we're going to get there, your number one goal running your business is to be able to survive. And if you've got your model built on a lot of hopeful resolutions that's all great but but like you said stress testing on the worst case scenario to make sure what is your backup plan if yeah like oklahoma doesn't legalize and say you're in southern oklahoma and you're thinking if rec goes legal people from dallas can drive drive up and grab their weed and go home like that exact thing happens over here in oregon in boise they just drive over the border 30 minutes away grab their weed and go home um but so those two dispensaries on the border of Idaho in the absolute middle of nowhere do like five million a year or more in sales um, in, the, in a population town of like, you know, 50 people. <laughs> but there um, but now that that changes models as well. So it's, um, yeah, making sure that's and, and one one question I want to ask you, because we did have in this question, bankers look at things differently. I know another topic that we get a lot is valuations. And sometimes owners have different, what I like to say is there's two different valuations. Um, and it's all the way I equate it to, it's like selling your house. So if 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 you come in as the banker to look at my house, hey, I've got this amazing house and I'm going to show you it's in Bend, Oregon. This market's taken off. It's the best house on the block and da-da-da-da-da. You're going to come in and you're going to look at, I'm going to say, okay, my house is worth $2 million. And you're going to say, no, we're going to get an appraisal and we're going to look at comparables and all this stuff for loan value. And we're going to get a very conservative value. Now, that's totally different from if I go talk to a real estate broker and I'm like, I literally have the best house in the block. I know the comparables say my house is worth 1.5, but we're in a hot market right now. I think I can get two. Let's put it on the market at two and I get 1.9. So those are different values. I equate the exact same thing. If you're a cannabis farm and you go to Casty and say, with your, if you've got your banking hat on, you say, I need a loan on my farm. And Casty's like, okay, let's go get an appraisal of that farm and see what it's worth. It may come back in in a million that could be totally different from your financial model to raise money, which, and again, this goes back to my high-tech days, financial models and the valuation in those are mostly just fantasy. They're all in the future. And you could say, I've got the world's best software and I'm, here's our sales, one, two, three, four, and five. We have almost no assets and the value of our company is 10 million and we're raising 5 million. So we'll give you 50% of the company if you give us 5 million, that valuation is mostly based on fantasy, but that's, that's how the game works in that world. <laughs> no, definitely. And when I think about bank bankers and lenders, you know, they definitely want some piece of collateral, right? They want, they want to know that they can turn around and get their money back uh, some type of way. Um, but they also, I want you know, they obviously want to know cash flow and what things look like, but they want to know the people on your team. And if you have credibility building a solid team and that people have experience building other businesses and being successful building those businesses, it brings a lot of credibility 
to the banker to be able to go to a credit committee and ask for those type of loans. Um, so past success in other ventures or industries can bring credibility to you and your team in the in the cannabis space. Well, that, that's another great point. And that I think investors would say the same thing. They would rather invest in a great team with an okay product than a great product with an okay team. Um, now, I know you had mentioned at some point, I remember you telling me, maybe just mention like you had seen some. So say you do have a really nice farm that's worth $2 million just from a banker's eyes and you go out to get a loan. The good news, bad news is you've seen some loans out there, but the interest rate's fairly high. And what what loan to value and what does that mean anyway <laughs> would they give you? Yeah, so we'll just take a quick example. So say you have a, a million dollar farm, so which includes, you know, all the greenhouses or maybe an indoor grow building. Um, so bankers are looking at that collateral and they're going to go get it appraised by a professional appraiser. And then the loan to value is usually anywhere from 70 to 80%. So uh, the bank wants to have a 20 to 30% cushion on the value of the property in case the loan goes bad, they can recoup all their funds on the loan. So if it was a million dollar property, they might lend seven to $800,000 on the property if it's already producing some type of cash flow um, to cover the debt service ratio. Um, so it's interesting, there's some other private lenders that are out in the space um, and they tend to be a little bit more aggressive towards cannabis companies and they are lending on the real estate, um, but they're charging 12, 13% interest on a two-year loan and they're charging them you know, a 2% origination fee, um, which if that's a million dollar, you know, loan, you're paying 20 to $40,000 in fees just to get the loan. And then you're paying that high interest rate in that very short period of time. Um, so you really got to weigh your, your odds on art. What are you using the money for? And is it going to produce enough cash flow to cover those costs. Yeah. And it is, I think some owners where sometimes we as CFOs got to rein them in because it's like, there's very few businesses where you can pay 12% interest in those high fees at day one and, and succeed. And especially in the cannabis world, everything costs so much money. And so, and on top of that, you got two ADE tax issues to deal with. And so, if you're going to take out this really expensive loan, yeah, it may give you through year one or two, but you better be ready at year two. What are you going to do um, on the, and I don't know, on the, say, say you had a traditional strawberry farm and, and someone else has a cannabis farm, is the bank going to lend the strawberry farm a little higher loan to value and a better interest rate than the cannabis farm? I would say most likely. And... <laughs> If I had to guess based off of current rates, what they are right now, you're probably looking, you know, um, on the strawberry farm, you could probably lend on that 80, 85% loan to value. Um, oh, wow. And there'll be seven, 8% interest. And it might be like a seven year loan, but they're going to amortize the loan over either 20 or 30 years. 
and you have a balloon payment at the end of the seven. So the payments become much more affordable um, instead yeah, of the on the whole years. balance. Yeah, on the two years. Yeah. Man, they're okay. This has been great. We've we've dove in very deep into lots of there's just so much to think about. But again, to me, it just brings back you want an expert on your side. I have seen way too many pitch decks with Sally or Joe that's the world's best grower, and then maybe the CEO that maybe or maybe not has ever run a company before. <laughs> um, and then no CFO on the team, or maybe oh, we got an advisor that has a tax firm somewhere that basically is going to give us a little bit of input. So huge push to ha have a dope CFO certified advisor on your team. Um, again, you, you'll be able to contact Cassidy here as well. Do you have any words of advice on if you are audited? So an audit could come through the bank or investors or maybe the IRS it's going to be the same either way. Um, do you have any advice on how you can cannabis accountants can best serve their clients during that, those audits? Yeah, definitely. First thing we do is build out a perpetual data room. Um, and this is going to store all of the, your critical information, everything from your legal docs to your contracts with the, uh, either vendors or suppliers, and then all your financial information tied out every month, balance, reconciled, balance sheet, income statement. So we're audit ready all the time. Um, and when you can provide that information either to the IRS or to your banker, then it makes their lives a lot easier. And that relationship can grow and expand. So um, be very, very upfront with them. Um, and we'll have all that information gathered which is critical. Yeah, and that's a great point too. And if you do that from pre-startup all the way through the cap raise, it makes raising capital easier. Then once you have capital, you're going to have much better reporting with your investors every month. And then as you need the loans or the audits, you're audit ready. And then, oh, by the way, you never know when 280 is going to go away or whenever someone's going to approach you for M&A or exit. It's just good to be exit ready too. So um, great, great topics today let's wind up this has been yeah a really good long one what real quickly we ask everyone what led you to dope cfo to start with um, hopefully your experience has been good with the dope cfo program as well but we always like to ask people at, at the end on that and then we'll yeah firm. so you know obviously wanting to start my own practice and you know be able to serve people in the same way that we serve people in the credit union space, we're very, very member service based and want to help out people. And I have that ingrained in me from being in the industry for so long. And I was like, where, where can I most benefit another company having my own firm? Um, and then finding cannabis and I found Dope CFO, got into the educational proponent and then um, the certified advisor program started and I was like, this is exactly what I need. And it, this is going to be perfect um, for what I'm looking for uh, to have that support and guidance from the corporate team. Um, I feel like we have a fantastic relationship, family-like, uh, just like how we are in South Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> its own culture in itself, uh, Dope CFO is its own culture in itself. So it's fantastic. 
yeah, and it's been great to to get to know you and your wife. And like you said, it has been a family. And, and the Dope CFO Certified Advisor is this is the first time since last year where we're actually the brand is out in the marketplace. Um, and, and that was super important to me. It's like, okay, you know, I could teach Cassidy or give you tools and systems, but if if you go out and just do whatever the heck you want or or give clients bad service or whatever, that comes back on our name. And so we were incredibly selective about who can come into this at all and so that's why we started very very small and um, we're super excited that you are are that dope cfo certified advisor as well and and had a lot of fun really we do want to make difference in our clients we want to provide that top shelf product um really higher end product and deliver it with great service we i felt now for a year going back 10 years that's what's missing in the cannabis space um these cannabis companies either have a bookkeeper or a part-time tax CPA, and they just aren't served the right way. And they need, you know, these companies are complex as heck, and they got so many issues. They need a pro with them as well. Um, so that is awesome. Let's let's wrap up here. Any final thoughts to either accountants or CEOs? Your and and how the best way to find you. Um, you are around speaking at events. You go to several events a year as well, and you're definitely in Louisiana. But you can serve clients anywhere in the U.S. No, definitely. Uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, you can catch our website, um, or you can you know contact me directly um, by email. So uh, Cassidy McFarland at dopecfo.us. Awesome. And we'll put all that links in here as well. And and even if you um, forget, you'll be able to find, you can just reach out to Dope CFO and we will connect you with Cassidy as well. Um, so great show. I think this one's going to be super informative to everybody and we'll be um, getting this out. But yeah, thanks for joining us. And we will, I look forward to seeing you pretty soon. Um, at one of these, I'll, my first event, I think this year is going to be summer, but we'll, um, but we'll, we'll definitely connect from there. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. All righty. And we'll, anyone else, if you're a CEO, yeah, check us out at dopecfo.us. If you're an accountant, you can find us at dopecfo.com and we can, we'll help you out. <music>